Cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products in the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sector. Why not register and join the webinar being held on the 24th of March on AI auto-contouring capabilities with Thera Panacea? And you can also catch up with OSL at the BIR conference on the 30th and 31st of March, as well as visiting our booth at Estro this year. As always, please do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists, as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and workflows of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name's Laura and I work at Convensys as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We'll open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 85. My name is Jane McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Norman Jelka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Dr. Claire Taylor, MBE, who discussed her career, the role of a clinical nurse specialist and research interests. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So I'm really pleased to introduce our guest, Rebecca Quick, this evening, who's going to be discussing her experience of cancer treatment and living with late effects. And as someone who runs a module that supports service redesign and development, this is particularly of interest to me. So thank you, Rebecca, so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. So Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your diagnosis and any symptoms that you may be presented with initially? Uh, yeah, I'm, as you said, Rebecca, mum to five children. Um, I had cancer when I was 47, bowel cancer. Um, because of the radiation effects now I no longer work yeah it was really awful I mean I had really bad stomach cramps um, um, I was bleeding from the bottom um, life was quite difficult I was working as a beauty therapist at the time uh, so the thought of being in a treatment from an hour to four hours the anxiety that that brought on um, was unreal they told me at the GPs I had IBS so uh, I was buying buscapan and colpamine and peppermint tea by the bucket load it wasn't really working and it wasn't until I saw a program called Outnumbered where the dad had IBD that it I just thought well of course there's there's other things that could be wrong Um, so I went back to the GP and said you know look I don't think it is IBS and that's when she got me in for the two-week referral to see a consultant uh, saw him uh, he thought you know too young for cancer the, the bleeding was probably hemorrhoids um, colonoscopy and two weeks later um, and there it was discovered that I actually had colorectal cancer um, so yes that was me at the age of 47 
apparently I shouldn't have colorectal cancer at that age. Too young. <laughs> but, you know, it's getting very, very common now. And that's when the treatment began. How did you find when obviously the person not really had a look yet? They said, oh, you're probably too young to have this. You must have had your own thought process going into that procedure. Yeah, it's when you're told you're too young for something. Um, obviously, then you start researching a little bit more. And um, the industry that I was in, there was a lovely lady. She had it um, and she was a lot younger than me. Um, another person had been picked up when they were pregnant. Obviously, Barbabe, I think she was... Um, diagnosed um, six months to a year before me so she was just starting to sort of really come into the limelight with um, with what she was doing for bowel cancer and I was like, actually I know more young people than old people so I, I really didn't get where this you know age thing came from because it was all younger people and it, you know it's it's difficult it's really difficult but um yeah it's, i just really feel for the youngsters that are getting it and they weren't just you know they just weren't being taken seriously and were coming through with stage four um cancers because it hadn't been picked up beforehand because of their age when you did get diagnosed were you shocked surprised you know what was going through your head um, yeah, I was really, really shocked. Uh, I was lay on the table. I had had sedation and I was actually watching the camera and there was this really lovely pink tube, absolutely perfect, where the camera was sort of going down and then it went really raggedy and I thought, oh, that's really not good. And just at that moment, um, the consultant that was um, doing the procedure turned around and said, wow, I think we have to have a little chat, young lady. And, you know, straight away you're like, ah, yeah, okay, I know what it is. Um, I was really shocked. I thought it would be IBD, you know, or, or one of the other digestive sort of symptoms, um, digestive problems. So, yeah, when they said it was cancer, it, it was a massive, massive shock. It's always very interesting to hear that initial point of diagnosis so we've interacted with lots of people through the podcast and obviously in our own clinical careers as well but everyone has a very different way they've been told so some people have been told sensitively some haven't yeah I guess but um you know there's not a lot I can say to that it's just that's that's the way it was and then obviously went um into the recovery room and then went and sat in with a consultant and the colorectal specialist nurse and you know he went through everything then but it was massive massive shock and I was totally unprepared for it how did your family react Rebecca did you have someone with you how did you how did you break the news to them uh my mum was with me and my sister um they were probably more shocked than I was um mum sort of started crying uh, everyone was really shocked. My partner phoned me up and I'd said to him, you know, well, I'll see you this evening and I'll explain it to you then. And he's like, what is it? What is it? Come on, you've got to tell me. So I had to tell him over the phone. And then 
see him later on that evening where you know I'd sort of said to him we'd only been seeing each other a year at this point look you know if you're going to go you've got to go now because I'm going to be going through a lot of stuff um, and I can't be dealing with you leaving or you know whatever issues there could be uh, anyway we're still together now seven years later so he decided to stay bless him <laughs> uh, yeah my you know people like my dad and that you don't really expect your kids to get it I th you know, especially the first sort of couple of weeks where you don't know whether you're stage one stage four you're in limbo um, you know you need your further tests done uh, so yeah it's everybody was really really upset but I think the hardest thing was sort of breaking it to the children that was one of the worst things I had to do you know give me a colonoscopy every day of the week rather than go through that again how old were they at the time oh crumbs I can't remember now <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were really young two were at primary school um right Soph and Joe were at uh, secondary um and Jordan was quite a bit older anyway um so it had to be handled very differently um we told the four of them in very basic terms and then the younger two went to bed and the older two stayed up and you know had a more in-depth chat with them um usual questions are you going to lose your hair uh, does it matter no um you know are you going to die uh, not tomorrow but i don't know what the outcome will be but having said that someone we know could get run over by a bus tomorrow so you know you can't you can't really tell when your time's up and somebody's time could be sooner than yours um, which they understood and uh, you know they were happy with that did you have much support on how to open up the conversation with them no um to be honest i didn't really look for support i did um, get in touch with uh, the primary school um, because I found out I think it was a Tuesday and I thought well I'm not going to tell them until the Friday and then they've got a couple of days to ask any questions um, and then back to school on Monday uh, unfortunately the primary school were really really unsupportive uh, I was trying to speak to the headmaster um, really didn't want to tell the receptionists what the problem was uh, but he wouldn't take my call um, so in the end I had to tell the receptionist um, he still wouldn't take my call so then I had to make an appointment with the teacher and um, even you know months down the line when I had to have the tumour removed which we knew it was going to be removed the school suddenly said oh we didn't realise it was that serious uh, okay that's fine not very helpful at all no neither of the schools were not the secondary nor the primary to be honest why do you think that was Rebecca I honestly don't know um you know they must have dealt with cancer um before um with children and parents that had them I know the primary school um did uh so yeah I'm not sure whether it's because it's almost you know it was bowel cancer so the chemo doesn't you know for me it didn't make me lose my hair it, it thinned um, so you're walking around as though you're fine, I guess, even though you're not, you know, and they're fully aware that, um, you know, chemo tablets gave me a week in hospital and, 
different infections meant I was into hospital. Um, but again, yeah, they didn't take it very seriously at all. It's a really good point, though, and I don't think we've ever kind of discussed it as part of Rad Chat before, but kind of seeking that support and going to the school or the education system to to almost advise you how to support your child having got those experiences must be really important so I can imagine it was quite a scary time anyway and then a lack of support in maybe supporting you and and your children um is I suppose something that everyone could do with kind of reviewing and making sure that schools and education providers know how to cope with in these situations yeah it is it's really really important I mean I said to the receptionist that you know the children that were going to go back to school on the Monday after being told I'd cancer were not the same children that were in school on Friday. You know, they'd been told something very, very traumatic. And at that point, we didn't know what stage the cancer was. Um, You know, they had all sorts of questions and they really, really could have done with being supported at school. But it, yeah, it didn't happen, so, unfortunately. Can you tell us a little bit, Rebecca, about your treatment pathway? Yeah, um, so I was diagnosed in the March. Uh, In the May, um, I was told I would be starting six weeks of radiotherapy and six weeks of um, chemo tablets. And I'll be honest, I thought, oh, chemo tablets. Yeah, great. Much better than IV, I'm sure. Not as toxic. Yeah, that that's not right. <laughs> so uh, Monday, um, I started the radiotherapy. So I used to go and have that at quarter past eight in the morning and then zoom on to work sort of straight after. Uh, chem- yeah, chemo tablets. Um, I had to have some in the morning and some at night. Uh, by Thursday, I was in hospital um, because the chemo tablets had done something to the valves in my heart. Um, so I spent a week in there with various tests and angiograms. Um, so I had to come off the chemo. So radiotherapy um, was then on its own to shrink the tumour as a standalone treatment. Was that capecitarine, the tablet? Yeah. So it's like a radio sensitizer, isn't it? Not 100% sure. I'm, I'm one of these people that was very much, um, I don't want to be totally ignorant, but then I don't want to know too much either. Just let me know the basics, where I need to be, um, you know, roughly why, and I'll be there. Um, yeah, it's, it's like you can look at everything can't you on the internet and I just thought no I'm not I'm not going to go down that pathway I think the only thing I looked at the internet was um, what a stoma was on the NHS site and that was it Um, so yeah so that was my treatment and then in the September it was to have a stoma placed and the tumour removed and that was you know that that was that was it really and a bit of clean up chemo after as well because it was a bit larger than they thought and how prepared were you, obviously, apart from reading about the stroma, but it's quite a big change to your lifestyle. Um, do you know what? It was great. It was really, really good. I uh, didn't mind it at all. I was very nervous um, because the only experiences I'd had were quite bad um, uh, 
you know speaking to people and they were sort of like oh it's going to be really smelly you're going to have to have links and you're going to have to spray yourself all the time and um how one person saw this chap and he'd leaked all down his leg and you know the horror stories were just there um but the stoma nurses at the hospital were absolutely lovely um and as you can imagine you know with the bowel issues that i was having to suddenly have it in a bag it was it was life it was really life-changing because suddenly i was in control of my bowels my bowels weren't in control of me anymore um so yeah i got on really really well with the stoma bag i treated it like it, it was a newborn so you know changed it regularly every time i went to the toilet emptied it out and you know kept it really clean set everything out before i had to change it um yeah it it was actually really really good it's always nice when i suppose a patient has a positive experience of something that is life-changing in a different way to how you've described it yeah not a problem at all i can see why a lot of people go back to having them um it you know it was it was brilliant it made life just so much easier how did you explain it to your kids that you're having a stoma um, but that was partly the reason why I looked it up because for some bizarre reason I thought it was um, a tube coming out of somewhere. <laughs> Not my insides on the outside and a bag over it. Um, yeah, they they loved it. So my stoma placement, we called it Fran. So that was Fran, my front bum. Uh, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's how we, we dealt with it, with um, humour. Um, you know, they, they saw me um changed the bag and you know and it's really important for them to see that um the only i mean the only people they knew that had cancer had actually died from it um so to see somebody living but having to deal with changes you know changes didn't mean um anything was necessarily really really bad um and i think it helps them deal with um hidden disabilities and things like that more I think they're probably more empathetic maybe sympathetic towards people that have hidden disabilities than they would have been um, if they hadn't had those experiences. So Rebecca how prepared were you for radiotherapy had you heard of it as a treatment for cancer before? Yeah I heard of it I went in had my little tattoos done um, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd been for the three, four hour chemo talk. So I thought, well, okay, radiotherapy can't be that bad then, can it? Because it's obviously chemo's the one that um, causes all the trouble. So I was really, really happy, booked in my quarter past eight slot. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I didn't even think about it. No, no worries at all. Um, I knew it could cause some sort of burning to the skin um which after six weeks my skin had just started to go slightly red uh, so i had none of that um you know my skin had been absolutely fine so i came out of there thinking yay job done that's it over and done with on to the next And when you were consented, Rebecca, did they go through kind of some of the late effects? No, no, it was all the very short term 
things you know like the skin reddening um maybe an upset to the bowels uh, uh the biggie with radiotherapy was did i want to um freeze any eggs um which obviously being 47 having the children um it was no so i had several phone calls about that they were really really thorough just in case um so yeah i think that was the biggest thing to be honest uh, and but that didn't apply to me i was just at a time in my life where that wasn't important which i know you know to some people and to especially younger people it is um so yeah that that was the the biggest concern i think um for radiotherapy and are you experiencing any late effects or consequences from treatment now oh yes <laughs> where do i start <laughs> um yeah I, you know i thought i'd got out of it all right and um i could get back to normal and i had a phone call from um carolyn my colorectal nurse specialist saying that my i think it was this, this must have been um sort of two years later saying that i was all clear um the scan there's there's just nothing there it was absolutely fine um i was so happy so happy excited i ran into work because i'd sort of taken the call outside and it was just like ah, that's it that's it get back to normal still had the bag then so um no toilet issues um still uh two weeks later i just the pain um from my kidney was just excruciating um worse than childbirth um it was awful so rushed into hospital uh i was told oh it's sto- it's going to be an infection or it's going to be kidney stones um but unfortunately the radiotherapy um had caused scar tissue on the ureter uh so it was actually the kidney was actually blocked so i was informed that um i would need stents then for life so and what followed was two years of stents that didn't work um in two years of infections i couldn't go into work um i actually gave up work at the time i I was just so ill all the time um where the stent has a little sort of curly tail um it it came quite low in the bladder so it felt like you've got knives inside you as you're walking so i couldn't walk anywhere it was just awful um they put a smaller one in that was great two weeks later it fell out so it was all blocked and back into the hospital again uh yeah it was just awful um a bit later on um i was told about a memocath stent which is a metal stent it would be in for a long time um unfortunately i woke up with a nephrostomy um which is is the bag that goes from your kidney uh the tube from a kidney to a bag that was awful absolutely awful i hated that um you know and you just they didn't call my partner who's like dan is my next of kin um i had literally had to wake up with this thing attached to me um and there was nobody there that i knew i was taken back to the assessment the pre-assessment ward because there was no beds and it was only luckily that a nurse had a nan with one so she was able to at least talk to me 
about it. Um, but to be honest, the whole urology from start to finish was not a good experience. Um, so yeah, and then the kidney was actually removed eight months later. Um, so we're down to one kidney now because of the radiation damage. Um, other symptoms, joint pain, back pain, bowel incontinence, bladder incontinence, um, forgetfulness, um, gastroesophageal reflux disease came on, um, whether that's, you know, because of the trauma from treatment, I'm not sure, but I have that now. Um, so there are days when I can't breathe. Um, yeah, it's it's just the whole, you know, it's horrible. It really, really horrible. Um, as I said, I had to give up work with it. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm still here. And that's the main thing. When you were in urology, um, Rebecca, how, I don't know, how smooth or quick was it for them to put two and two together? So we find that patients go through long-winded diagnostic pathways after radiotherapy or cancer treatment because people aren't sure what's going on. They knew obviously um you know really quickly that it was the radiotherapy that had caused scar tissue uh but there was no aftercare there was nothing um i didn't know what was around and i can remember phoning maggie's my local cancer center and saying i haven't got cancer i didn't need you when i had cancer and i don't know what to do now so um i was really really depressed really upset so um, they called me in for the following day, met a lovely gainer. Um, that was sort of my path to recovery, really. It was like a great big hug as you walk through the door. And then um, they introduced me to Sam Bostock, the lead radiographer at Cheltenham Oncology. Um, and then she got back in touch um, a few months later through gainer and you know, Gaynor said, is it okay if I give you, Sam, your email? And said, yeah, that's, you know, that's fine. Um, and that's when really there was a start, of, you know, for me of, of the late effects clinics. Um, and obviously for me personally, to have had that would have been absolutely amazing and to be able to self-refer and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, I've been part of that fight now to get these clinics available um, to everyone that has radiotherapy and to get it recognised. Rebecca, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, so you may not want to answer it, and it's absolutely fine. In terms of quality of life, you know, I've had it before where patients have said, yes, it would have been horrific to have died as a consequence of cancer, but actually, because of the side effects that I'm experiencing, I wish I hadn't have gone through with treatment. Is that something that even passes through your head or has or has done in the past? Because radiotherapy for me was a standalone treatment after the chemo um, issue. Uh, you know, and I've spoken to Sam about this as well. Um, you know, it did its job and I'm here today because of the radiotherapy that I had. Um, so no, I would never ever tell anybody not to have radiotherapy. Um, 
it's you know quality of life or no you know will not be here um yeah it's it's not difficult for me i had to have it it's part of the process that's kept me alive that i see my children every day life's very different um and i can't i i try not to compare it to what it was uh, you know, if we have, if we go out anywhere, we can't just go out. Um, I'll cancel at the last minute. Um, I'm. It, it's just about getting people around you uh, that give you a, your quality of life. Um, it's not always about your body. It's about the people that are your, you know, your family, your friends. Um, so I've got, you know, even from a friend point of view, um, if I arrange to go out, they'll be in contact the day before. Um, and then on the day, are you feeling all right? Should we have a takeaway and come to yours? Um, you know, so I, I've got, body-wise, it's rubbish. But my quality of life, actually, I'm, you know, I'm not going to complain. So you mentioned, obviously, the support around you, which sounds fantastic. Lots of people struggle to support a friend or a family member going through treatment. What is, I don't know, for anyone listening if you think he's had similar treatments or might have similar treatment, how would you explain quality of life? Because it varies for person to person. Mm, it, it does. It really, really varies. Um, I mean, thankfully now they've... <laughs> the southwestern Gloucestershire, obviously, we've, we've got the late effects clinics. So there is more uh, medical support. Um, we're getting a support group up at our local Maggie's Centre. Um, there's a lot more known about late effects now um, and a lot more education going on with health professionals. Um, obviously, we've got the PRDA as well um, that are really fighting the cause and their best practice pathways used by radiographers and professionals alike. Um, so quality of life is going to be better for people now than it ever was before the late effects. Um, just that being heard, um, you know, that makes a huge improvement on your mental health and your quality of life. You know, you're not going to your local GP and they're really not quite sure what to do with you. Um, they're not sure what's wrong with you. No one's heard of PRD um, or late effects. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, for a quality of life, first thing is get to a late effects clinic, get to a MAGIS centre, get support and start talking to people um, just to be understood that you actually you're not going mad what you've got is very very real do you think it would have helped Rebecca to have known a bit more about some of the late effects before having radiotherapy or or actually is it ultimately having that late effect service available to you um, it would have been lovely to have known a bit more beforehand um, you don't need to know the full, you know, everything that could go wrong. Um, but just to have some idea, you know, and then maybe at the end of your treatment, be given something that says, you know, look, this could happen. Um, if after three months, which I know is happening now with the late effects, you know, you, you get this um, leaflet. After three months, you can self-refer to your late effects clinic. Um, yeah, it would have been great to have known beforehand and then to have known you know that you've got the support at the end of it as well to go to um you know people have been 
wanting this for decades and that really shocked me really shocked me the thought hadn't crossed even crossed my mind because as I said you know the majority of people that I knew that it had cancer had passed away from it um you know and to suddenly think that you know all the people that are alive and surviving now um you know with the improvement in treatments uh yeah it it would you know to have had something beforehand and then the late effects clinics after yeah it would have saved so so much upset it really would have the pelvic radiation disease pathway and the best practice obviously is fantastic it's something that exactly as you said it's been needed for so long and we'll make sure we link it in the show notes of this but it's an incredible document for anything and everything really yeah it does it's and it's a real eye-opener and um you know especially for the health professional <coughs> excuse me and i know sam goes around um educating people and educating you know gps and what have you so people are really really beginning to understand more about late effects not just pelvic um obviously you get so many late effects with other cancers too um but all i know is you know prd it's, it's just everything basic that is affected you know you've got we poo sex um all your basic body functions really are you know are affected for life you mentioned obviously sex and intimacy this is something we seem to always get into quite deep um joe joe likes to talk about this a lot i'm getting braver do you know what i think it is it's because I know as a practitioner, I never raised it. And I I think it's a bit of a guilt thing that I never did that for my patients. And I'm so passionate that other therapeutic radiographers don't feel like that. Yeah, and it, it, it is important. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, Stu's very understanding. Um, but I know a lot of people, you know, I've got a friend, uh, her and her husband are still in separate rooms. Um, they're still very close though but then I you know again you also see the people that have come out of this single because their partners um couldn't cope very selfish um didn't like not having the attention for whatever reason um so yeah it's you know it is an important part of life and then obviously there are people that want to date and they've got to talk to um new partners about these issues as well so it's it's massive emotionally for a person um you know that they've got to deal with this um so it does need to be talked about were you forewarned about anything and consequences from your treatment and how it might affect sex and intimacy for you yeah they they did actually mention um they didn't say what would happen they didn't go in depth um Oh, what were they called? But they did give us things to use to keep... um, Dilators. Dilators, that's the word. Um, That's not the word I was going to use, but yeah, that's actually the correct (laughs) term for it. Well, you don't have to use the dilators. No, but well, obviously dilators don't have batteries in, do they? So, <laughs> um, yeah, so they gave me those varying shapes and some, I don't think it was KY jelly, but something along those lines um and was told to use those to keep everything opened in case of scar tissue and what have you um but that that was you know that was never an issue for me 
um, it's nothing to do with anything that's gone wrong inside it's the incontinence side of things that is my issue um, so yeah so you know the sex issue there's there's different elements to it which is why it needs to be spoken about Rebecca for any departments that don't have a late effects service or potentially even a Maggie's or a support centre what advice would you give patients who think that some of the consequences of treatment are starting to affect them um get in touch with the PRDA the private radiation disease association um they are really really good I mean it was Sam when I first met her at Maggie's Sam Bostock that she put me in touch with the PRDA um and I had actually had the honor of proofreading the best practice pathway for them and you know I just cried at that document it was just everything rolled into one really positive um you know and, and they've got mentor schemes they'll put you in touch with somebody that has it so you can talk to someone that understands um they do let's talk um which is like an online I think it's about six weeks but it's online and you can learn more about it you know and you'll meet people there like you um they also have an online chat community uh yeah so you know i think they are they are a good place to go to if there is no one else available um you know i'm always quite happy as well to chat to people about it um yes there there are places that you can go if there is nothing local but always check because there might be a late effects clinic setting up near you because i do know from the last um macmillan steering group meeting um you know they are branching out and there are other areas that want to start these um, late effects clinics so it is always worth you know checking with your nurse specialist or just speaking to the radiotherapy department and see what's happening as well and when you say you're happy to talk about it you've done lots of media haven't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I've got life on last um, so yeah that's that's going really well and I have quite a few messages on there um, you know some from patients and some from um partners that have just said it's been really difficult to talk to my partner especially men i think um and one lady in particular she said that seeing what i put helps her to actually understand him without him having to you know tell her if he doesn't want to um so yeah it's you know it, it was really awkward doing it. I was like, do I, don't I? But I've got two lovely friends that were sort of, yep. If, if there's nobody else, you'll at least have two people on your Instagram. So, okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's important. It's important that people know that there is help there out there. There are other people with it, um, you know, and that they are not alone. I think what you do is amazing, Rebecca, and obviously testament to people like Deb's Babe who advocate for change but also 
promote checking your health, checking your poo, you know, talking openly about these things. It kind of breaks down some of those social stigmas and hopefully helps people go and get checked out if they do have any of those symptoms. Out if they do yeah. have any of those symptoms. Yeah, you know, it's even little things like colonoscopies. People are like really worried about going to them and the team that do them are absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, yeah, they're not the best, but then neither is telling your children, you know, you've got cancer. You know, if you need a colonoscopy, go and get one. It's it's fine. And, uh, you know, they won't be laughing about your bum or anything else or your hairy legs. Um, you know, they just want to check that you're okay. <laughs> I sometimes have had friends go, oh, you must look at kind of breasts all day and, you know, you get to see all people's bits. And I was like, I don't, we don't even notice it, um, which sometimes is a bad thing because when patients go, oh, you didn't cover me over, you have to be really conscious to think, actually, we do need to make sure we cover you over because it's your dignity and your respect. But I think it's also showing that we're so desensitised to it, we don't, we don't see like anatomy like that that you would do maybe yeah but it's I mean you know it's more important that you are looking at any issues rather than you know what someone's bum looks like um when i had my radiotherapy didn't really know what to expect when i was in there but of course being bowel cancer it's um so i have my three tattoos one just above my bum crack and uh one on either side of that and uh, went in and she's like okay then lie on your front and uh, <laughs> they had the thing that you have to lie over so trousers down bum in the air it's like, oh yeah this is graceful isn't it <laughs> but um you know they were really professional and they were so so lovely every single one of them was really really lovely obviously you talked about your social media following as well rebecca just wanted to ask quickly You've been through a lot and now you're taking on other people's trauma as well. How do you look after yourself? Can I say gin? <laughs> uh, <laughs> wine? Um, no, I, I knit. Um, you know, I've got the girls here with me. Um, I spend a lot of time now knitting, um, doing crafts, learning to sew, uh, yeah just look you know just look after myself that way and if I have a day where I can't do anything then I don't push myself anymore um mind you if I'm on tramadol I can't anyway uh which you know can happen quite a few times in a week or I might have a few days where I'm feeling you know fine but I've learned I have to still take it easy because obviously when you have flare-ups of absolutely everything and you can't move for a few days um it's tiring when you can you're, you're drained from you know pain and the painkillers you have to take and everything um so it whereas i used to get really down that i should be doing more um you know when i went to maggots i was so depressed but bit by bit i've learned you know to look for positives get up in the morning all oh, that sky looks absolutely gorgeous flowers are beautiful um not to beat myself up about anything not to give myself goals that are unattainable um yeah and you know 
if all I can do of a day is is knit two rows of something that I'm doing, then I've knitted two rows of something that I'm doing, and that's really good. Um, so yeah, I I do you know I do look after myself, and if I am ill and I can't go on social media, what have you, I can't, and that's the way it is. Thank you so much, Rebecca. So many top tips for people listening I'm sure and hopefully lots of healthcare professionals that will take on board things that you've said thank you for listening to Rad Chat your hosts today have been Jay McNamara Namanjelka Anderson if you are utilising this podcast for CPD purposes consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we've discussed to receive your accredited CPD certificate please complete the Google form linked with the podcast our next guest to feature will be Noel Clerkin who will be discussing her career as a mammographer and mammography screening.